I'll talk to one person that is on a side of an issue and another on the other side. And after I talk to both of them separately, I, I think about it and I think, wow, those two people that are on very diff- opposite sides of the issue, they're actually not that far apart. I think a lot of people want the same outcome for our kids and they just don't realize it. Hello, everybody. This is Aaron Silva. Welcome to our special edition of the Eans Parents Unite podcast, our candidate series, where we are meeting with each candidate for board of trustees at EISD one-on-one and hearing from them exactly how they feel about a multitude of issues and what they're willing to talk about to get your vote. This year, there are a total of five candidates running for two open places, number six and place number seven. Ellen Balthazar and Heather Sheffield are defending their incumbent seats from Jay Lamy, David Borutia, and Jim Withers. Beginning over a month ago, we invited all of the candidates to the podcast with the understanding that we would be completely fair and above board, that we would discuss the same topics with each of them, and perhaps asking the questions in a slightly different way based on their candidacy. The topics we proposed to them were the budget, the DEI policy, a library books, and last but not least, we wanted to make sure each candidate had an opportunity in their own words to pitch as to why they deserved your vote for Board of Trustee this year. Each of them were offered full editorial control over their episode, allowed to hear their episode in advance, and at their option, make edits or re-record anything on the podcast. I actually met with each candidate in advance for about two hours to get to know them because... I had never really met any of them or knew any of them before uh, the podcast. Uh, And in this meeting, I got a chance to uh, understand them a little better. So that way I could tailor the questions around their individual strengths with the idea of making their episode a win for them and a win for the community. Every candidate was eager to accept the invitation to come on the podcast except for Heather Sheffield. She decided not to record a podcast, but her opponent, Jim Withers, did. We also have an upcoming public square forum that we are hosting on the evening of April 20th at Riverbend Church. I will moderate this discussion, and it will also be a live broadcast that anyone can see and hear on the Internet. We have cordially invited all of the candidates to attend, and all of them have accepted again, except for Mrs. Sheffield. I think we have made a tremendous amount of progress uh, interviewing each of our candidates, and I know you will find each of them to be interesting on their own. I know the episodes may run a little long, but I highly encourage you to listen to every single minute of what they have to say. We are truly fortunate to have such wonderful parents willing to run for Board of Trustees of EISD. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everybody. Uh, Today on our podcast, we have a very special guest. We have Mr. Jim Withers with us. Uh, Jim has uh, decided that he's throwing his hat into the ring, and he's running for place number six, which is uh, currently occupied by the incumbent Heather Sheffield. And uh, Jim uh, joins me uh, today. Uh, This is his uh, first opportunity to run for public office, right, Jim? 
This is the first time? This is the first time. So, uh, you know, a lot of people in the community know who you are. I got a chance to meet you the other day for a couple hours, but I, I, I did hear quite a bit about you before we had our meeting. But for the rest of the listeners, why don't you just give us a little bit of a background on your family, where you're from, um, maybe a little bit about your business. Uh, I think that would be interesting for everyone to, uh, to hear from you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, this has been an amazing process. Um, it's amazing when you're running for school board and uh, the number of people that are willing to take your phone call and get together and have a conversation and just get to know you. So it's been a lot of fun. It's a lot of been it's been a lot of fun to get to know you, Aaron, and I uh, appreciate you taking the time of mm-hmm. uh, asking me on the podcast. Um, I was born in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, moved to Houston when I was three years old. Mm-hmm. So really was. Uh, raised there and um, uh, went through school there and college at the University of Texas with a a major in finance. Okay. Uh, Loved UT. Uh, After that, moved to New York and worked on Wall Street for a few years and Mm -hmm. back to Houston for a few years, working on Wall Street as well. Uh, Had a great experience. Um, After that, uh, decided I kind of wanted to reroute my uh, career and maybe be a business owner someday. So I went back to business school at UT. Huh. When did uh, you do that? That was from 2004 to 2006. Oh, but you gra- when did you graduate from UT? Uh, 2000 undergrad. You were 2000 undergrad, so you went away. Four years later, you went back to business degree. Correct. Okay, cool. And actually, while I was in New York, I was there for 9-11 in 2001. Ah, yeah. So that was uh, uh, quite an experience. Um. And, uh, yeah, so went back to UT, got my MBA, mm-hmm. um, uh, had a focus in real estate finance. Okay. Um, and from there worked in real estate for six years, uh-huh. uh, here in Austin. And, uh, you know, just during that time, uh, knew that I always wanted to be a business owner, mm-hmm. reconnected with a friend in Houston, um, and found out that he owned and operated automotive service locations there and wow. I thought man that that sounds interesting and fun to you you went from uh land you went wall street to uh real estate and then after having that you thought getting into the automotive business would be fun that that, that uh it's a it's a <laughs> question i'm still trying to answer for myself <laughs> exactly Aaron. uh but no my my real estate background uh you know kind of led to me led it led me there as well um, we owned the land um, uh, where the automotive businesses were, and uh, it was a great way to combine, you know, operations with my real estate yeah. experience. And I grew up in an entrepreneurial environment in Houston. My grandfather started a lumber yard, which uh. Uh, he was an entrepreneur. It evolved over the years into hardware and plumbing and coffee mm-hmm. and wedding gifts and so, stationery. So. Chase is one of those entrepreneurs. Follow the rabbit. Follow the rabbit. Entrepreneurs yep. say. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. I always had that uh, as part of me. And so that really inspired me to step out and what, get into a retail What business. kind of uh, automotive stores were they? What was the name of the company? So we were called Service One Automotive. Uh-huh. And we had five locations around uh, the Austin area. Yeah. And we did anything from an oil change to brakes to engine diagnostics mm. to uh, replacing engines. Gotcha. So- I'm sure if there's someone listening that got bad service while you were owning it, 
Is that gonna is that gonna work against you? Uh, so time? yeah, let's. Uh, if Aaron, if you could go ahead and publish your cell phone number, I would just have them reach out to you on that. <laughs> exactly, but exactly. no, we it was a great experience, and uh, you know, uh, you sold this business recently. Sold it in December of twenty one, yeah. and so year. and so the success uh, has gotten to your head. And now you think you're going to run and become a trustee. Well, you know, a, I just thought it, it would be a great way to relax and, uh, you know, and take some time off and just, uh, you know, not, get into it, a hobby like running for the school board. Yeah, yeah. You know, because what else do you do with your spare time than get involved in a school board, at, especially at this time right now? I mean, this, are you a little kind of a, I was asking uh, Dr. Arnett on his, you know, are you sure you want to be superintendent? I mean, are you sure you want to be? A trustee. There's a lot going on right now. A lot of, uh, a lot of difficult stuff. Yeah. You know, why? Yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting few years. Uh, it's been an interesting few years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, owning a, a business, we kind of were on the same journey as as the school board was at that time, and uh, it was it was challenging. You know, mm-hmm. so I feel for oh dealing with the pandemic and the and pandemic. The, yeah. I mean, the co- you know the pandemic took up a majority of our time yeah. just figuring out what it meant and how to keep our employees safe, our customers safe, and mm-hmm. and also continue running the business smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel for the board and Dr. Leonard. I mean that, that it was a tough few yeah. years. So you you didn't tell us. Uh, you have a wife, you have some children. Yep. So yeah, while, you know, while I was at UT business school, uh-huh. um, I got married to my, uh, lovely wife, Ashley. Mm-hmm. Um, and between that time and, uh, while we were getting our business going, we had three kids. Uh-huh. Uh, so it was a busy time in our uh-huh. lives, having children and getting the business going. And, uh, if I under, understand correctly here pretty quick, you're going to have one child in elementary, middle school and in high school. That's correct. So in two years, I'll have a ninth grader, I'll have a seventh grader, and a fourth grader. So you are going to have what we call a vested interest in the school working. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're in it for a while. Gotcha. So. Okay. So that's a, a, quite a complete a resume. It appears that you're qualified, uh, but we'll let the voters decide that ultimately. Yeah. Um, as we interview all of the the candidates, there's a few areas where I'm focusing some of my questions uh, on. Um, one of them is going to be about the issue of uh, retaining staff uh, and the and this uh, concern that all of us have about bringing good teachers in. Another question I want to cover with you is obviously we're going to talk about DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, library books is a hot topic. Um, I think as we as we go through these, there'll be some other things that have come up. I want to get into some of your leadership style. I think parents want to understand that if they're going to vote for you, what they're going to expect. So let's start with, um, I think, kind of top of mind for all of us that have children in the system is about making sure they get a great quality of education because we have this legacy of amazing quality and amazing uh, outcomes. And it all is on the back of the teachers. I mean, let's face it, without just like you had employees, you don't have good employees. You're not going to get good service. You're not going to build equity in your in your company. And the teachers over this over all these years, we've been had the school district and certainly the high school the last fifty have built a cr- tremendous amount of equity. And there's been uh, just fantastic outcomes. So right now we have an issue with attrition, 
which is another way of saying we have a retention uh, problem. Uh, Dr. Arnett tells us that it's hovering right around 10% per year. I think we have somewhere around 750 teachers. So, you know, 10% doesn't seem like a lot, but when you think about what it costs to find another teacher and then train that teacher and put them in place, it's quite expensive. And then the disruption to the continuity of the the school. Uh, that 10%, I understand, is about half of the national average, which says a lot about the industry, something like 20% attrition rate, which is that's pretty alarming. I don't know if you could run a business on 20% attrition rate. That would be pretty extreme. So give us some ideas about what you would like to see uh, EISD consider to help some of this um, retention issue. Obviously, we always want to pay our teachers more if we could, but I think we've got to be more creative than that. You have some concepts about what you're thinking there? Yeah. So when we were starting our business about 12 years ago, um, started operations and, you know, we're hiring employees and, uh, you know, I, I had to learn the hard way how important culture was. Culture. Uh, yeah. You know, we hired them and said, do this job. And, um, uh, you know, just gave them direction. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we thought we had a lot to offer a safe place to work, a great place to work. Um, didn't realize how important it was to focus on culture at that point. So we had a a lot of turnover. Mm -hmm. So we really had to step back and look at, um, you know, how expensive that was and time consuming and, you know, the customers come in, they want to see the same employee there. Mm. Um, so I just kind of stepped aside and thought we need to create our own culture. And, you know, when I think of family, what keeps a family together and, uh, it's love, you know, and, and respect for one another. So I just started leading with love and put my heart out there. And, um, we had employees that grew up very differently than I did. Uh, I remember one employee, he said that his mom took him to the bus station, gave him $20 when he was 12 years old, and she said, good luck. And uh, I didn't have many friends that I grew up with like that. And wow. I just thought, wow, there's there's a bigger cause here than just running a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and it evolved into we're in the business of, of family mm-hmm. and uh, growing people and and making them feel like they have purpose and they're part of something. Um, and giving them stability. And so we just focused on that. Um, so, you know, when we, during the interview process, um, we would tell them, look, you come to service one automotive one way and you're going to leave another. Um, (laughs) we're going to love on you. We're going to provide stability for you. Uh, we're going to train you, Mm -hmm. you know, you may come work at service one automotive for a year and you may go somewhere else and, and that's great. But if we just did our job and providing better training for you and uh, preparing you for your next step, whether it's with us or someone else, that's great. Um, and, and so people really bought into this culture of, of love and taking care of each other. And um, I think that that culture is one that we can apply to Eans. I think hmm. it's needed right now with, Everything you see going on in the world and the media, mm-hmm. um, we need to focus on that. And so, with the teachers, it's the same same plan. 
Um, you know, if we have a candidate, we need that candidate to understand the intangibles that we as Westlake offer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, years ago, um, it sounded like, you know, I wasn't around, but Westlake was, you know, the place to work. And yeah. I still think it is. Yeah. Um, and we just need to make sure candidates understand that, that, hey, you may, you may not want to come work here forever. Um, you know, your ambitions may be to become the president or CEO of Coca-Cola someday. Or, yeah. Um, and that's okay. Let or become us, a principal or, or move into an administrative yeah. role or something. Yeah. yeah, or specifically at Eanes. Move up. Hey, you do want to stay at Eanes and you want a career there. Uh, let us be part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we do have a leadership program for teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, so learning more about that and, and what a what a great thing we're already doing and that we can expand upon. Uh, but I think there are a lot of intangibles that we can offer our teachers. Yeah, what are some of those? You know, hey, you have a spouse or a partner or husband or wife that um, is looking for a job. Well, guess what? At Westlake, we have, uh, you know, over 5,500 families that are a part of our Westlake schools. I'm pretty sure there are a few doors few, that we uh, can open. A few for uh, company owners. Yeah, a few company <laughs> one, owners one like yourself, Aaron. Yeah, yeah, one or uh, two. You know, and we can open those doors. We'll we'll get your spouse or partner a job, uh-huh. uh, at least a job interview. Mm-hmm. So there are a bunch of intangibles like that. We need to make a big deal out of teacher work anniversaries. Uh, one thing we did at mm. Service One, you hit your five-year work anniversary. We paid for a seven-week vacation at the beach or a wherever seven, they wanted to go. Seven weeks? A seven I'm going to work for you. <laughs> seven days. Excuse me. We paid for a seven-day vacation. Seven weeks would be nice. We're going to edit this out so yeah. we leave in the seven weeks. That'll get you elected. Yeah. There we go. There we go. I'm in. Jim Let's Withers, seven-week vacation. <laughs> but uh, at Service One Automotive, we offered a seven-day paid vacation for two at their five-year uh, work anniversary. And that was a big deal. So if, that if, is a big deal. if the job interview, you tell them that and they start thinking, wow, no one has ever offered that. Uh-huh. So, uh, that was a big deal. And mm-hmm. we had a lot of five-year anniversaries and had, you know, uh, one employee go to Hawaii. Um, we were able to, you know, work with our budget yeah. for this, this trip. And he, he was able to send himself to Hawaii, um, had a lot of, Couples go to, you know, the beach at Port Aransas. So yeah. a lot of fun stuff. And um, I think that's something we can do and, for our teachers. And you can get a lot of that activity sponsored out of the community Well, and the, and the folks that are here. Yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, I, there are many folks and families that have second homes, and let's open our doors to them. Oh, that's a great uh, idea, actually. And, and what a great way to save money uh, uh-huh. for uh, these teachers not to have to go to somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, pay to go to somewhere. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, just one of the other intangibles mm-hmm. yeah. we can offer. Um, I think when you and I met, you mentioned something about helping teachers to get to school because unfortunately, uh, and Dr. Arnett pointed this out to me that a lot of our teachers don't live in the community. They have to drive here, uh, from, uh, from a great distance. You had some thoughts about how to give them a benefit, uh, to, to come to work. Yeah. I think, you know, when we say taking care of our teachers, um, this is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, traffic in Austin is, is, is a problem. 
we got teachers commuting commuting from Round Rock and Mm -hmm. other areas of the city and Mm -hmm. transportation is absolutely key. Mm -hmm. And so if we can make them feel a little bit better about Mm -hmm. that, uh, I've heard of some parents trying to put together gas cards for teachers. Mm. Uh, What an amazing idea. Mm -hmm. I was so glad to hear that recently. Mm -hmm. Um, I would hope that if a teacher was having a vehicle issue, uh, that they come to us Mm-hmm. And, and hey, if their car is broken down, we're going to get it back on the road for you. So Maybe you sold service first a little too early. We could have just made it a hey. company asset. Hey, I still huh? know people. <laughs> you know you know people uh, out there? Yeah. Can we get a coupon? Yeah. <laughs> Teacher discount. <laughs> Teacher discount, exactly. I've heard someone uh, kicking around the idea of a housing for teachers or something like this. Do you know anything about this idea? I love that idea. So mm-hmm. this week I attended a, a meeting at Envision Eans. And mm-hmm. what a great uh, committee that uh, has been put together. It's 25 parents and community members and professionals. And, uh, you know, their charge is to think big. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can we do as a community to represent that Westlake, which it already is, the greatest school district in the nation? Mm-hmm. Uh, and one idea that they discussed was this teacher housing issue. Mm. Um, and that's been on my mind how, as how well. How would they do it? Is it um, is it just uh, treated? Like, I mean, someone someone puts up the capital to build it, and they they live there rent free, or there's reduced rent. I mean, what was the concept? I'm curious. Yeah, so I, I I think it's an idea that you know needs to be further explored to answer all those questions. Yeah. Uh, but you know, a few of the ideas there are: hey, we got a lot of real estate developers in town. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe they own some apartment units that uh, are vacant, and we could give a reduced uh, rate to the teachers. Uh, you know, one idea that a member of this committee threw out was, what if we created a portal um, where a bunch of Westlake families or professionals posted that they have a garage apartment or a condo. Oh, and a a casita. A casita Uh uh, that is available for a teacher to live in. Uh, So could be for free, ideally, or Mm. a discounted rate. Um, An idea I had was, well, why don't we partner? Why don't we make this a win-win? We've got a lot of real estate developers in our school district. What if we approached one of them and said, all right, uh, you know, you build an apartment complex, um, and we section off an area, mm-hmm. you know, for teachers to live in, mm-hmm. and we'll offer it at a discounted rate. And mm-hmm. what better way to market your real estate company than doing something like that for gotcha. the teachers? So, the answers are not there yeah. yet, but I it it seems like something that should be pushed forward, and I think can be mm-hmm. accomplished. Yeah, creative. It uh, to get past the budget issues we have, uh, it's going to take some creativity. It's not going to be the state. Uh, and, and to get on top of the retention issues we have, it's got to be come from the community. Absolutely. Because, right? I mean, uh, as I studied the history of the school and talked to a lot of folks that went back to being part of the first graduating uh, classes, everyone lived here, you know, the teachers, the principals, of course, the kids lived here, everyone lived in the community. And, that certainly had to be something that really uh, forged or rooted the early culture of what made the school district great. And obviously, over times, because of the socioeconomic uh, economic changes here, 
the teachers have been pushed out, and that's got to be hurting us at some level, that they're not in the community, that our kids don't run into their teachers at HEB or, you know, around the way. I think that's a great idea to figure out how to get them here and keep them here, Yeah, keep it, them closer. It's a huge issue. I mean, with traffic in Austin um, and the cost of living, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a real issue that mm-hmm. needs a lot of focus. Yeah. Another issue uh, that needs a lot of focus is communication. Uh, we have these last two to three years have been uh, very stressful on parents, been on the entire country, on our children, here in the community. If we focus here, it's about uh, an absence of communication or an absence of clear communication or fragmented communication or communication that comes over social media and not coming from the right places and right sources. And then, of course, as we do on social media, it gets disseminated into all kinds of different um, ideas and concepts and rumors and whatnot. As a parent, I know you've watched um, the communication um, not come out the way it probably should. Uh, I'm wondering, do you have a sense of you know, what went wrong uh, with the communication, and what you would try to do about it if you were elected uh, to be a trustee? You know, just where do you see it? What's, um, you know, round that out for us a little bit. Yeah, so overarching theme of our campaign is unifying the community. And when I think of unification and, and trust, I think transparency knowledge and education. Um, and, you know, on a lot of these issues, I th- I think it's just a, a pretty simple communication problem that mm-hmm. we could resolve quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it Like I mentioned earlier, it's been great just getting out and knowing to people through this, getting to know people during this process. And I'll talk to one person that is on a side of an issue and another on the other side. And after I talk to both of them separately, I, I think about it and I think, wow, those two people that are on very diff- opposite sides of the issue, they're actually not that far apart. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people want the same outcome for our kids and they just don't realize it. Mm-hmm. Um, so communication is huge. Uh, we've got social media um, the TV media, um, you know, all with very strong differing opinions on things that we're dealing with here in Eanes. And so communication is huge. And at the board level, communication is just got to be transparent, transparent, um, to keep that trust between the board yeah. And the parents, and the parents and the board, vice yeah. versa. Yeah, it it. Uh, I've seen you, I think, at a couple board meetings, and these board meetings have, uh, they are business meetings technically, and there's a part of the meeting that's committed to the public having comment, but there uh, there's no uh, feedback, and that seems to be the only place where. Parents can look at the board of trustees and talk to them and the superintendent, except when they're getting one-on-one connections with these folks, you know, behind the scenes and, you know, during the day or other times. Do you envision an opportunity where 
the communication could be more deliberate and more broad, and we can create possibly uh, forums, uh, kind of larger group settings where we can take some of the tension off of these issues and just you know talk about it all together as opposed to having this one area, uh, this one uh, facility or format. You see any opportunity there if you if we go forward? Yeah, so I I have been to a few board meetings and man, they're pretty intense. Yeah, they're, uh, some they're, parents yeah. get pretty passionate and yeah. heated on how they feel, and um, I I agree. Uh, there should be separate forums for discussion, um, and you know I brought this green light hat here, mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey. Um, we need a minister of culture uh we need to get people positive again. not mcconaughey not mcconaughey no we see him enough but we we need to have fun again we need mm-hmm. to talk again we need to laugh again um i think like we discussed most people are on the same page yeah you know it seems like our discussion is mainly on social media and emails and and we're it seems like we're focusing on 10 percent of the stuff that we need to be talking about as opposed to the 90% of stuff that we we all agree on. Um, so let's start there. Let's focus on that. Um, and But the issues such as DEI and the budget and mask and everything we've been dealing with the last few years, we do need to have separate open conversations outside of the board meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, I think we do need to have some boundaries and rules. Hey, we want everybody in the community to participate. But in order for us to move the ball forward, we need to all just let's let's approach this assuming the best in each other. Mm-hmm. Let's let's tell ourselves we're going to be calm, mm-hmm. even when inside we might be uh, a raging, raging. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's just tell ourselves we're going to talk calmly. Um, you know, let's have a DEI night. You know, where mm-hmm. we all get together, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe the board can or a committee member of DEI present where we are um, in that process and 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 what DEI means mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just mm-hmm. help the community understand what they're doing and then give the community the opportunity to give feedback and ask questions. Mm-hmm. Since you brought up DEI. uh it's it's something that's definitely top of mind, and you said something interesting. Let's have a subcommittee member tell us where we are, which implies obviously this boat has pulled away from the dock. It's moving. It's moving down into the curriculum. It's moving along. One of the uh, complaints that a lot of parents have had about the DEI initiative is that the parents are kind of left out in the dark. They don't understand it. Some do clearly. Um, and some understand it enough to love it, and some understand it enough to not like it at all. And there's, I think, a great population of parents still don't know what the heck's going on with it or how it's going to affect their kids. Do you think um, this was a missed opportunity uh, with the board to do a better job of communicating with parents and getting parents involved in this discussion? And if the answer is yes, how do you think we re-engage them and get them caught up with it or – do we slow down what we're doing to let them get caught up and then reassess how we're going to put implement DEI or not? Yeah. Um, getting out, talking with some parents, um, they feel that 
when DI was rolled out, um, the board had not anticipated all the questions and that possibly the DI rollout plan was not as well organized as it, as it could have been. Um, you know, and it's like in any organization before you introduce something big, a big change, you got to anticipate all those questions and, um, or as many as you can, or as many as you can. That's right. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's such a shame, you know, the whole intent of DEI is to create better understanding and love and respect for one another. Mm -hmm. And now it's, you know, an issue that's polarized our community. And, and so it's unfortunate that it wasn't, it didn't bring us closer together. Mm -hmm. Uh, So certainly communication and transparency needs to be Mm -hmm. worked on Mm -hmm. and we need to catch the community up on, on what it means. Um, keep it in simple terms. Yeah. Um, you know, a one page summary of what it is that we can all understand and also offer the deep dive that the community wants as well. Yeah. There's a lot of tremendous amount of misunderstanding some people uh well i've i've had three or four people now on the podcast and each person answers the question about what it is and how it's going to affect my child differently and so uh and that's that's just four opinions three or four opinions there's there's got to be um a better job of codifying what it means to us as a community and as parents um do you think that um as we talk about DEI, just to kind of pick at that a little bit, a little bit more, uh, do you believe that, uh, or have an understanding that DEI is going to help our teachers, right? Because I know you're very focused on. We talked earlier about the love of the teachers and the intangibles. Is do you have a sense that it's something that teachers need, um, and that's why we're doing it, or do you think it's more about the kids? What's your sense? You know, not what they've told you and given you feedback on. But as a parent, what is your sense about where it's being applied? Well, uh, I, I do agree. I mean, there's confusion mm-hmm. um, about whether DEI is a culture we're trying to create or a curriculum. Or a curriculum, yeah. So I think the first step is for the board and the DEI committee just to really hone down, focus on you know the questions that have been asked, um, what DEI means to Westlake, tighten that up, and present it to the community. Um, and then decide on whether we go and then whole hog or you got to get community feedback. Yeah. So really, maybe I'm not suggesting start over, but let's let's just revisit on the core objectives and outcomes that we're looking for in DEI. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like just talking to people, they feel like they didn't get an opportunity or weren't heard. Yeah. As DEI was being formed for Westlake, mm-hmm. so I. I think we should. They weren't included. Yeah, they don't feel included. So yeah. let's have that DI DEI night or forum that we talked about earlier, and yeah. let's let's start there. Agreed. Uh, earlier, when I asked you about some ideas that you have to slow the attrition or improve the attrition issues we have with the teachers, you gave me a great example of how culture was important in your business. You are going uh, from being a entrepreneur into a public school setting. That's sometimes quite a chasm to jump. And I think the 
uh, kind of the establishment uh, trustees would say, maybe you're not qualified because you don't have that background and you haven't been doing it long enough and you're new to the whole program. Do you have um, any examples of mistakes you made in your private uh, businesses or your private career or even some successes you had that you think will translate over to you being a very effective trustee for the school district? Yeah, I think, you know, from a failure standpoint, we talked earlier about culture and how important that is. Um, And that's something that I learned that can be applied to any organization, whether it's uh, Service One Automotive or the school district or some Fortune 500 company or or our families or church or wherever. Um, You know, in, in my mind, the objective of the board is to lead the school and we're not going to have all the answers. So from a failure standpoint of when we owned our business, at times during leadership role in the owner, I felt like I was the one that had to have the answers. In reality, I needed to get feedback from all of our employees. They're the boots on the ground. They're the ones interacting with the customers. They're the ones working together. How could I possibly have all the answers when I'm at the leadership level uh, trying to manage the books and marketing and mm-hmm. all the back office stuff? So I failed at times getting feedback and involvement. And just thinking you knew our, the answers. Thinking I knew the yeah. answers. I oh, know I do it too. And and the employees, if I ask for feedback or their engagement, that they might have some sense of lack of confidence that mm-hmm. I didn't have the answer. Mm-hmm. And in reality, when I finally realized that, hey, I need to engage our whole team, mm-hmm. all 40 of our employees in these decisions, not only did it bring us closer together, but as a collective group, we came to the best yeah. conclusion. Yeah. Well, that's an example of where, as a business owner, uh, we, over time, if we're successful, we develop a sense of instinct and touch on what we should be doing uh, after having so many failures, right? But in a public school environment, at least from my understanding of how it functions, it's much more statutory. You you have uh, administrators that most of them have not come from the public sector. They don't have this sense of touch and solving problems uh, because it's their money on the line to make sure payroll is made You know, next week. They don't have those kinds of pressures. They're different pressures. Do you think um, that that touch and instinct in a board setting is going to, are you going to be able to influence anything even with that experience? Or do you, do you think possibly that it's so rigorous and so statutory about how things are done that those ideas and concepts maybe won't make it to the surface. Aaron, I always have an attitude of whatever it takes. <laughs> so if I were to get on the board and I saw a problem, I'm, I'm a very, here's the problem, what's the solution, we're mm-hmm. going to do whatever it takes kind of a guy. Um, and that's, you know, our business, we always had issues every day, problems. All the so, time. Got to come up with a solution, mm-hmm. got to keep things running smoothly. So I, I do feel that perspective and that that skill set uh, is needed at the board level. And um, do you think it's lacking? 
look, I think the board member or is made up of wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you look back at the last few years, COVID and the rollout of DEI and, you know, you had the George Floyd murder um, yeah. and a lot going on in our country. And I think that was an opportunity to bring our community closer together. And, and we it got divided us. Yeah. We went the other way. Yeah. And I feel that if I would have been on there, I could have brought the community closer together during that time. Yeah. I love that confidence. Um, let's uh, let's talk about another hot issue that is uh, discussed at almost every board meeting that doesn't seem to get resolved, although it appears it's pretty easy uh, to get resolved, and these are library books. So we have an issue. Uh, I think it's a three-level issue of the types of library books that many parents are objectionable about being in the school libraries at the elementary, middle school, and high school. So we have debate about history books, and we have debate about books that talk about homosexuality or gender dysphoria and these things. And then we have books that just have vulgar content. So let's I don't want to talk about the history stuff, and I don't want to get into the sexuality stuff. It's frankly above my pay grade and it's not not appropriate on this on this uh, uh, episode. Let's just talk about the stuff that we, you as a dad, me as a dad, could crack that book open and read it, and know it's not something you want to read to your kids. What do we do about getting that out of uh, the libraries? What's your what's your thought on this issue and how to solve it? Do you have one? Yeah. So I met with John. Havenstreit, uh, the president the of the president board, of the board uh-huh. had a great meeting, um, and we talked about this. And um, you know, I, I think a list of maybe three hundred books was yeah. put together that uh, parents were concerned about. And uh, you know, John and I discussed that, and and he brought to my attention that hey, we got a process to take those books through. And he even acknowledged there may be a few books in there that we shouldn't have in the libraries. Um, and, you know, uh, we should look at those. Um, and if there are books that uh, are taken through that process and obviously shouldn't be in the libraries, they need to be pulled. Um, if there are books that we feel as a community are not appropriate, um, or that some parents have voiced mm-hmm. that they don't want their kids viewing, but some parents feel they should be there. Let's come up with a process to make that happen and make everybody happy. Um, you know, if there's a book that one parent feels would be helpful for their child and, and another parent doesn't feel it would be helpful, let's come up with a procedure. So maybe it's having that book behind the counter. And a a parent has to go check it out on behalf of the child. Mm -hmm. Uh, But again, this is just, you know, another problem Mm -hmm. that has been brought up uh, by parents. And there's a solution. Mm -hmm. And it just starts with conversation. Considering that um, I'm familiar with this list, considering that there's something like 165,000 books in the collection, and there's just a few hundred sitting there, I'm familiar with the books, and I'm also familiar with this process. I don't know. Have you seen the process that uh, they want you to go through in order to question a book's presence in the collection? Have you seen this? I have not gone through the process. Yeah, so you have to find this form, which is deep in the bowels of the school website, 
first. It's a multi-page form that has to be filled out for every single book. You submit it, and then they have a bureaucratic process where I believe, I could be wrong on this, three teachers read the book and then talk amongst themselves whether it should stay or go. And so to adjudicate 300-some-odd books, even though it's a very small fraction of the total collection, you know, this thing's going to die in committee. This is the issue. My sense, again, I'm a business guy like you, it's an easy fix. You know what you do? You yank those 300 books out, you put them in a room. You go hire a CPA firm or a Pricewaterhouse, someone, and you hand them the Teeks code, of the decency code or whatever they call it, and you, you let them figure it out, a third-party independent. And you're right, some of the books will survive and stay in the collection. Some might go behind the counter with the cigarettes, you know, and then some of them are out. That you, but to, but to put the parents through this laborious process and to say that they ought to be pacified because a process exists, especially since they've already done the darn homework, it's right there. I mean, wouldn't that be simpler maybe? Is that something that the trustees or you as a trustee shouldn't at least be ready to – isn't it worthy of consideration to do something like that out-of-the-box thinking? Or do you think we have to stay with the process that's there even though it's as inefficient as it could be? Yeah, so, I mean, like any process, it needs to be efficient. And uh, and people need to be able to understand what that process looks like. It can't be over overly complicated. So – if the process of reviewing books is too complicated and too time consuming, we got to fix it. Um, and and it, that just ties back into communication and transparency. Yeah. Like, you know, if parents have concerns, we should listen and address them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Arnett brought up in his uh, podcast that the, he hasn't had one, uh, the school hasn't had one objection yet filled one of these forms and uh to to prove the point that there must not be much objectionable material because there hasn't been one filed well the issue is how difficult it is to do it um but i have a feeling here pretty quick there's going to be uh, a big thick stack of these process uh documents being delivered to the school which again you know i hope they i hope they find for a, a better way to solve this let's um I'm interested, uh, you know, about what you feel about DEI as a parent and how important that might be to uh, your children that are are in the district. What's your thought? Yeah, so, you know, obviously DEI has um, caused a lot of heated debate within the community, and I think part of that division we're seeing right now. Um, if, if you look at DEI, I mean, the the – the words are beautiful words. I mean, who can argue with diversity? Uh, who can argue with inclusion, uh, equality, equal opportunity? Uh, you know, they're nice words. The equity. Ish, equity. Yeah. The issue has been what's the underlying underlying meaning, and um, you know, I really think we can come together as a community and understand DEI better and come up with something that we can all agree on. Um, I met with one of the board members, Ellen Balthazar, wonderful mm. lady, mm-hmm, had a great nice. conversation. And great lady. I told her, Hey, this green glasses campaign, not sure where Tom got that, but it's brilliant. The kindness campaign, the kindness campaign. Yeah. 
what a great idea that we can all understand, mm-hmm. simple, all get behind. Certainly not suggesting that, hey, we should use this to replace DEI, but uh, what a great way just to maybe soften the tone of DEI and just kind of start the conversation of, hey, well, we can all agree on kindness. So yeah, let's easy. go ahead and do that. And then we'll all as a community take a deeper dive into DEI, just a way to soften the tone. Mm. But uh, I told Ellen, gosh, I wonder who the the guy was that came up with the green glasses idea. And uh, she told me it was a a dad in our community, Oh, Eric uh, Qualman. And Mm. so I said, well, would you be willing to share his contact info? And I called Eric and man, what an impressive impressive guy and he's an author and a motivational speaker and uh got the best smile you've ever seen uh very positive optimistic optimistic person and and what a great opportunity that would be to bring someone like mm-hmm. that at the forefront of our community and just kind of bring back positivity yeah it it might work here too because this community has such a fierce sense of independence and uh i think the community feels that the DEI that we're doing is what we're seeing on the national scale. And we see the tension and we see the news and we see the CRT and all this sort of stuff. If it was something that was, as you said earlier, the parents can get engaged on and then have some ownership over. And then the tone was softened through a different delivery. You told me uh, in our meeting, you had this concept of um, uh, what was it? Love them, uh, tell them, that they're great or what they did right and then tell people what you'd want them to do differently. What was that about? Yeah. So, you know, families, business, school, any kind of organization, you're always going to have conflict resolution, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, part of DEI in my mind is just getting along with people, respecting people. And so at Service One, we developed a game plan for that. Mm-hmm. and an approach, a method. It's a three-step approach. And I've been sharing it with a lot of the board members and just anybody I, I visit with um, about our campaign. And it's a real simple approach. And I, I highly encourage everyone to, to try it out. Um, the first step is, you know, if I have an issue with you, Aaron. Yeah. How, how do I, how do I, <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> how do I approach you? Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. And so, um, I think that's half our battle, just having the courage. Yeah. There's to, no approach right now. Yeah. It's just having the uh-huh. courage to, to approach you or, or the community approaching the board uh-huh. or with each other in our community. And the first step in the approach is I love you. Uh-huh. I love you too. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, when you say that, I mean, those are pretty bold words, uh-huh, right? Yeah. But why not use them more? Uh-huh. Um, what a way to just take someone by surprise and, sure. and soften them up. Sure. Um, the second approach is point out something positive about that person or organization. Hey, Aaron, or hey, DEI committee, love where your hearts are. Y'all are wonderful parents. What an amazing thing you're trying to trying do. To do yeah. And and hey, DEI committee, I bet you, you know, we're on the same page and we all want the same things. And we'd love to just have a conversation mm-hmm. with you to learn more and be a mm-hmm. part of it. Yeah. Um, the third step is, you know, hey, if we're upset about DEI, um, you know, 
we'd just like to learn more. Could we have a conversation? Uh, you know, our friends in the community that are not seeing our concept of DEI, maybe we could put to put a plan together, a way to teach others mm-hmm. what DEI is to us and get their input. Let's switch uh, topics and uh, talk for a minute about the budget. Now, uh, the budget for a school and a district like this is not an easy thing. It's huge and and uh, very detailed. Uh, what if you just give us a um, maybe a Cliff's Notes version on what you see in the P&L and then maybe draw our attention to some of the areas you think are going to be really important as a trustee uh, for you to influence the board to work on? You know, you just kind of educate some of the listeners that otherwise would not look at the P&L uh, for, a, for the school, for the district. Yeah, that's great. I, uh, I think knowledge is power. And the more our community can be educated on just how our budget or P&L uh, works, uh, the better we can all work together and maximize that budget and find opportunities to expand our cash inflows. Uh, so the 2021-22 adopted budget, uh, which, by the way, our fiscal year ends in June 30, so a few months down the road from here. Um, that adopted budget assumed a $1 million loss. Now, the good news is um, Dr. Arnett and the board are, are saying that we should end up by June 30 with a balanced budget and, and we won't need to pull a million dollars out of our cash reserves. So that's great. Um, let's talk about our revenues. Our property values in Ian's ISD are worth about 17 $0.1 billion. Yikes. So that includes the home you own, the home I own, uh, you know, some of the commercial properties in our district. Uh, and collectively, we all pay $172 million in school property taxes. So that is revenue to the district. On top of that $172 million, we receive about $12 million in other revenues. So our total revenues are about $184 million. And again, this is all part of our adopted budget. Our expenses. Our largest expense is recapture. And, you know, I think most people are familiar, but this is a way uh, that our state makes sure that all schools receive uh, an equal amount of funds. This is the, the Robin Hood. Robin Hood. So instead of calling yeah. it Robin Hood, Robin Hood. They call it recapture. So they're taking these monies and distribute it back out to other districts across Texas. That's right. Okay. So, uh, you know, it's a program that was established in 1993. And essentially, it just makes sure that every student across the state receives about the same dollars mm-hmm. um, for their education. Mm-hmm. Um, and our recapture expense at is going back to the state is $102 million, uh, which is a huge number. That's about- so 172 less 102, so yeah. that leaves us about $70 million. That's correct. Wow. And so that's about a 60% of that $172 million is going back to the state of Texas. It's almost it's almost like the uh, combined tax, tax rate I used to pay federal and state when I live in California. That's correct. <laughs> that is correct. It's a, it's a big number. Wow. So, um, so less that, um, 
now we're left over with about 82 million because we had the 12 million of other revenues. Oh, gotcha, well. gotcha. Yeah. Excuse me. So okay. the 172, so 70 net plus the 12, we got 82. That's right. Okay. Now our adopted budget was about 83 million. Okay. Our expense budget. So that's why you know the adopted okay. budget was resulting in about a million dollar loss. Okay, sounds reasonable. Uh, an interesting thing to note is that our payroll costs are about seventy one point four million. So not almost ninety percent of that number of our operating expenses. Wow. Correct. So so we run we run the entire district operationally, not including payroll. You know, facilities management. Uh, you know, chalks for the chalkboard and on about ten million bucks. Uh, yeah, it's a little little above that, about eleven and a half, but wow. pretty lean for such a wow wide district. You know, about eight thousand students, seven hundred and fifty teachers and staff. That is surprising. It, it, you know, all the facilities we own, fuel, utilities, uh, buses. It, yeah, jeez, it's pretty lean. Okay, so, um, so uh, assuming we have a lean budget. Um, you know, there's not a lot we can do to change recapture. Um, it's been here for almost 30 years. I think it's here to stay. It's a law of the land. Yep, law of the land. So let's focus on areas where we can increase our revenues. Mm-hmm. Um, the first that comes to mind is student enrollment. The more students we have enrolled in our district, the less money that goes out the door to recapture. The more students we have, the less it goes out. Correct. But don't. But there's a limit on how many students we can have here, just based on our geographic. Uh, you know how big we are. You can't increase the population by ten percent. We can increase the population, uh, but one area we can focus on, for example, is, you know, you wonder how many students are going to private schools that uh, live within the Eanes ISD district. Ah. Uh, so I, I was thinking about this and. If you do the math, every additional student that stays within Eanes mm-hmm. is about $8,800 more that we get to keep within the district. So you can mm-hmm. almost think of that as the state pays $8,800 in tuition to us for every student that's enrolled. Okay. So I was thinking about it, you know, just. Man, how many people do I know that live in the district and go to private school? St. Stevens and Stevens and Trinity and wherever else. Regents, you know, all these Mm -hmm. schools. Mm -hmm. And I quickly came up on my own with a list of about 45 students. So you do the math times 8,800 per student. That's almost a $400,000 swing in additional revenues we could be seeing. But how do you convince? How do you can convince parents that are sending their kids to private school to come back to Westlake, or to or to switch to Westlake when that's a, a voluntary thing to do? I mean, they're not saving money by sending the kids to private, and the education isn't marginally improved by going to private, considering this the record that Westlake has. So I quickly came up with a list of forty five students that I know that go to private school and live in our district. So if you take that 45 number times $8,800 per student, that's almost $400,000 decrease in our recapture payment. 
So 400 grand dropping to our bottom line. So if you expand that number, let's assume it's 100 private school students that we kept in our district. Now that's $880,000 decrease in expense. Let's take that up to 150. Now we're looking at 1.3 million. Now let me be clear, these are just numbers I'm using for sake of discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's something we need to look at. Well, how do you get them? You know, because uh, parents are not putting their kids in private schools because they're saving money. They know they're paying more. How do you convince them to pull the kids out and move them to Westlake? It's a great question. Um, Should we pay them? We <laughs> pay them not to go to school. We, you know, we need to fulfill every family's needs, mm-hmm. meet every child where they are. Um, I personally have a child that we had to pull out of Eanes to get additional help with dyslexia. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was falling way behind, and we had to do everything we could as a family to catch him back up. And uh, luckily, we've caught him back up, and and our child will be re-enrolled at Hill Country Middle School next year. So we're super excited about that. He'll be back with all his buddies. Um but yeah, we got to go through every program in the school and make sure we're catering to every family's needs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be interesting to reach out to a lot of these former families. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just start by having a conversation. Why did you guys leave? You know, what are the issues? What are the concerns? And let's take a look at ourselves and see what can what we can do better to to accommodate everyone. So you're so it's um. You're, you're addressing the root cause of why they left in the first place. The perception probably isn't that they're getting a better or higher quality education in one of these places because it's just as good as anywhere at West, at the high school itself. You're saying maybe they left for a reason that the school was not able to address a qualitative issue like you did. You weren't able to get the proper education for your child that had dyslexia. You had to leave. So maybe there's a you think there's a perception that the quality is not what it could be, and if the quality did exist, that they might bring their student back and therefore give us the revenue we need outside of recapture, something like that? Absolutely. I mean, while we do live in a wealthy district and we do have some families that, that are very wealthy, uh, some, you know, are paying to just to live here and, you know, mm-hmm. they face this decision and decided, hey, we need our kid to go to a private school to get caught up. And uh, it's a burden. Uh, We live in a very expensive district. So the families that I've talked to would be elated to come back to Eanes because they're already paying a huge property tax amount. Yeah. I uh, actually, you know, I've lived here eight or nine years now. And I recall having a conversation more than one time where I was talking to a parent that had a student that went to St. Stephen's. And I'll just say St. Stephen's because that's what it happened to be. I'm not picking on St. Stephen's. But uh, when I got down to why they really sent him to St. Stephen's, it was to slow it down. Like it was mm-hmm. so intense. And the uh, the push for excellence was, you know, what it is at Wesley High School. They had a student that they had to slow it down and send him to the private school to get a more of a curated uh, education, but all of them would love to have sent them, kept them in Westlake, you know, if they could have. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of pressure to stay at the top mm-hmm. in our district. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think it's fantastic that we can meet every child where they are. We've got AP classes for those students to mm-hmm. meet their maximum potential. Um, we've got an amazing special education program to um, offer those students their best opportunity uh, to reach their maximum potential. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, there's been a lot going on with COVID and um, I think it's time we just need to get back to the basics. Yeah. Well, it could also be a way when we think about inclusion, uh, the way that we're operating the school is not inclusive of everyone that might have a different need. Maybe by adjusting uh, what we make available as a product, it could be more inclusive, and now we can compete against those schools and get those dollars back. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. What else is on the P&L that uh, you thought was of interest? Let's look at uh, you know private funding. Mm-hmm. Every dollar that we raise is a direct offset against our budget deficit. Ean's Education Foundation is an amazing group of people. Mm-hmm. I believe this fiscal year they've raised about $2.5 million that is directly funding about 52 teachers mm-hmm. throughout the district. Mm-hmm. We have about 38% of families that have just generously contributed that huge dollar amount. If we could just bump that 38% to 45, to 55, quite a goal, 100%. Imagine just how much more we could help our budget. Um, Just the fact that these dollars don't go to recapture is an immediate opportunity to help our budget. Mm -hmm. Um, So if we can just unite this community, get everybody working together, getting more contributions to EEF. What a great way to address our teacher salary increases. You know, as we talked about earlier, teacher salaries make up almost 80% of our operating expense. So Mm -hmm. it's already a huge part of our budget, but Mm -hmm. we need to do better. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need to hire and retain the best teachers possible. EEF (coughs) is a direct way we can do this. The, um, and what's uh, interesting when you look at uh, – when I look at the budget numbers and I see that we know that we're underpaying the teachers by whatever it is, my sense in talking to Dr. Arnett, he, w- he couldn't be specific. Um, I'm sure he could if he – you know, if I asked him to. But my guess it was probably in the 4 to $5 million is what we would have to pay all of our existing teachers to have them at market rate and make it competitive so that the districts around us can't – uh, take them from us and you know, and other reasons just to make it feasible for them to live here. So when you look at the donation we're getting from EEF, they're hiring those 52 teachers also at below market rate. It really, uh, you know, there's really two things we're not addressing there. One is that the population as a whole is being paid under market and the donations we're getting from EEF has become a dependency. So that's what you're talking. If we could either focus on more contributions where dollar for dollar affects our bottom line, which is through the vehicle of EEF, which I think most uh, would appeal to most of us, um, you know, that are business people over here to think, hey, 
this is a way to get around being taxed, right? Um, I'm gonna every dollar I put in. It seems like that is the most efficient way uh, to get money into the into the district is through EEF, but we don't want it to be a dependency, right? We, we still want to be able to handle our funding with the corpus that we have, and that should be gravy on top of it and going toward things that, you know, that we can do special, like you said, to address uh, bringing kids, you know, use the EEF funds to address the demand that we could make possible for those other schools from private schools to come over. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, like we discussed, student enrollment is a huge driver of how much, you know, dollars stay in our district. Um, beyond that, we run a pretty tight budget. Yeah. Okay. So that $11.6 million that's left over in, in operating cost, um, you know, we need to run that as lean as possible. Um, not sure how much we can cut there. That's pretty mm-hmm. lean. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that just transparency and just detailed reporting um, so we can all understand that budget and, and help each other. Um, and maybe that opens some eyes to folks that learn more about our budget issue and contribute more to yeah. EEF. It's funding 52 teachers that we otherwise wouldn't have funded by the state. Um, in addition, I see it as an opportunity to better compete with other districts and private companies like we talked about earlier that are trying to hire away our teachers. It uh, might be a source of sign-on bonuses or um, increasing average pay. Um so I think it's a vital solution that that we can hopefully tap into overnight. Yeah, we we really want to shift the purpose of EEF not to be so much as a dependency, but it, it's a way to fill the gap and to allow us to compete for teachers and compete for um, program directors and other people that we need to keep the school as excellent as it is. Absolutely. Yeah. We If we look at starting teacher pay, in EANS, it's about $1,000 below AISD, $2,000 below Del Valley. Hmm. So I'd like to be higher. I'd hmm. like to be at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Del Valley, they're at 52600 We're at 50000 We need to be above that mm-hmm. to attract teachers mm-hmm. to come work at EANS. Mm-hmm. So uh, with the remaining few minutes we have, I want to give you um, some time to give us your campaign pitch. So convince us, why do we want you as uh, the trustee to take over Heather's spot? What's What do you want to leave us with? Yeah, so uh, I'm a pretty normal guy. I'm genuine. Um, in fact, during this process, I told someone about myself and our approach in this campaign and the conversation ended with, if your approach, Jim, is genuine, I think you'd be a great fit for the board member <laughs> oh as a God. board member. If your approach is genuine, I think you'd be a great fit. And I think that says it did, all. Did someone actually say that? Someone actually said oh, that. Oh, yikes. And, uh, Ouch. You know, and I, I, I felt bad that they felt that way yeah. um, because obviously we're it shows that we're in a climate where we're not trusting each other yeah tensions are high mm-hmm. and not this person's fault for feeling that way it's yeah. just the environment we're yeah. in our guards are up people are you know uh 
suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I get it. So, but I feel like I'm very, I am very genuine. I'm a pretty normal guy. And I had this amazing experience uh, owning our business that I can bring to the community. Um, I'm a lover of all people. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, you told me I love you. You uh, loved me. Yeah. That was good. So we're good there. Uh-huh. Um, I'm passionate at conflict resolution. And just unfortunately, the last few years, and, and again, at tough times that board and Dr. Leonard dealt with, mm-hmm. I can heal us. I can bring us back mm-hmm. together. And that's what's needed. Mm-hmm. Unity. Unity. Mm-hmm. And unity is the, the umbrella for the other three areas of our campaign, which is kids. We need to focus on the kids. And I do believe our current board is. Mm-hmm. Um, the teachers. We've got to retain the teachers like we talked about earlier. Uh, and the budget. The budget. School financing is complex. Um, EEF is a wonderful organization oh, certainly. that is helping fund our teachers. And But the umbrella over all that is unity. And if we're not working together and understanding each other and transparent, and if we're not all educated on the large issues at hand, we can't be, we can't maximize our full potential with teaching our kids the best well-rounded education possible, with teach, with retaining, hiring, retaining the best teachers possible, managing our budget at the most fiscally responsible way we can. Mm-hmm. Well, I will... Uh... I will vouch for the listeners as I uh, sit here and uh, talk with you and in our previous meeting. Uh, my wife, Ivana, gives me good credit for being able to read people. And you are absolutely a sincere and authentic uh, gentleman. And I wish you the uh, best of luck. And uh, if for some reason you don't prevail, I hope you stay involved with the district and our students because we need more parents like you uh, that are involved. So thank you for coming on the podcast and, and good luck to you, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. And we have a ton of impressive families in this school that have a lot to offer and that can bring to bear what the school needs. So, so let's all get off the sideline, find one of these committees to get involved in. Uh, the school needs you. This podcast is brought to you by Ian's Kids First, ensuring that Ian's prioritizes our children's well-being, honors parental rights, and unites our incredible community. To learn more about our mission or to donate to our cause, please visit us at eanskids.com. That's E-A-N-E-S kids.com.